today we are <clears throat> continuing our series in Advent. And so this whole season, as we get ready for Christmas, is Advent. And we have been diving into what that all means. It encompasses a lot. And today we are talking specifically about the Incarnation. And so the Incarnation is God manifested in flesh. The actual person of Jesus, you know, born of Mary, his life, everything after. That's the Incarnation. And so if you could open your Bibles to John 4 and just kind of keep a spot there, we'll get there in a little bit. Um, And as you're doing that, I want to say welcome. We're glad that you guys are able to be here, uh, especially after taking a little break last week from in-person services. And so we are so grateful to be here together again, to be able to worship and to be able to hear the word uh, together in person for some of us. And those who are online, we are so grateful that you're able to join us uh, through those means. And uh, we just pray that everyone is healthy and safe. Um, And if you are new, uh, we are glad that you are here. We would love to get to know you and connect with you. Uh, One really good way you could do that is uh, over here at this table, we've got connect cards and you can go and just put down some information, any questions you may have, uh, put it in the big box over there and we will definitely get back to you this week. Um, But We are just so happy to be able to be together as a family again this week as we worship together. So before we get into John 4, um, I want to just mention a few things. First, I think there's this tendency when we're talking about Jesus, there's a tendency to forget his humanity. We focus on his divinity. I mean, Jesus is God, right? And we focus on that. I mean, you could even look at the, the pictures, the paintings that are up all over the place of Jesus where, you know, the dude's in the white robe, super serene expression, right? He's got the halo. And, and you're like, yeah, this, this is, you know, a godly, you know, being. This is God. And we forget, though, that he was also human. God was fully man and fully God. And he was a carpenter by trade. He was dirty often. I mean, he lived 2,000 years ago, right? Like, you don't bathe every day. You didn't have, you know, nice bathrooms and everything else. Like, God was a man that lived 2,000 years ago in Jesus. And we forget that part of it. So the incarnation is the intersection of humanity and divinity coming together in Jesus Christ. And it is on full display in John 4, the passage that we'll be in today, where we're going to see how Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman at the well, which many of you may be familiar with the story. And we're going to see on full display his humanity and his divinity all coming out. And what that actually means for the woman at the well and what it actually means for us. And throughout today, we're going to specifically pay attention to the humanity of Jesus because it is through the fact that he was fully God and fully human that a very important truth is revealed. And that truth is our main idea for today. This is the thing I want you to remember, okay? So wake up, remember this thing, and then you go back to sleep. Through Jesus Christ, God is accessible We can know him. You can have relationship with God. He is accessible. Remember this. 
everything else today is going to go through that lens, that God is accessible. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into talking about the incarnation in this passage. Lord, thank you so much for today. God, there's so much happening this year. It's been crazy. We're getting to the end of 2020. And yet we have this beautiful season of Advent to close out the year. A season where we can remember who you are, celebrate it, worship you. God, you did something amazing when you came into human history as Jesus Christ and you brought salvation to us all. Today, the the entire passage, the entire sermon today is celebratory. We should leave today worshiping you in awe of what you did. And I ask, Father, allow us to be able to recognize this. Holy Spirit, ignite the passion in our hearts for you and who you are and your character and the fact that you have made yourself accessible, that we can know you. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak through me during this time. Let your your will be done in this. Put me aside so that your words can shine through. In your holy name, amen. So the incarnation, right? It's a big word, but it just means that Jesus was 100% God, 100%, and 100% human, okay? That's what this means. 100% God, 100% human. He entered into the world as a human, born from Mary, and all the messiness that involves, lived life as a human, He went through all of it. He experienced so much. He died for our sins on the cross in a human body. He rose from the dead into a physical human body, a glorified body, and then he ascended into heaven. And so the incarnation, we too often think of it as, man, that's something that happened, you know, when Jesus was here on earth during those, you know, those years of ministry, The incarnation is a present reality today. God, through Jesus Christ, is fully God and fully human today. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father physically. The incarnation is important because it is ongoing. This is something that is still affecting us in a very real and present way. And so what does all this actually mean, right? We could take, you know, that part and really kind of dive into a lot of theological debate and a lot of things, right? A lot of questions that come from it. So what's this actually mean? What does the incarnation mean for us right now? Well, it means a few things. One, it means that Jesus understands He understands what we're going through. He understands us, how we function. John 4, which we'll we'll get to in a bit, keep, keep that marked. John 4 is the story of Jesus just traveling, stops at a well because he's tired and he's thirsty. He's just a dude traveling and he wants some Whataburger, you know? 
Like, he's just chilling because he's tired. He is a man who interacts with this woman at a well in his humanity. And throughout his life, you see that he didn't just, you know, experience hunger and and thirst and, and tiredness. Jesus experienced the full gambit of emotions that we have and we struggle with and deal with today. He had temptation. He had fear. Loneliness. I mean, one of the best examples that we can think of is in the garden before he was crucified where Jesus had so much fear and anxiety that he was sweating blood. I can pretty much say none of us have had that level, right? And we often like to think that we've gone through quite a bit, you know, and and we have stressful lives. Jesus was sweating blood because of how much stress and fear and anxiety that he was experiencing. And you can't tell me the temptation wasn't there to just leave. He knew what was going to happen. He even prayed, God, Father, if there is a way for this to, you know, be taken from me, please let that happen, because I don't want to do this. I am afraid. Jesus knows what it is to feel like a human to, for us and our emotions, so he understands us completely. So Jesus came to our level By understanding us, he comes to our level. In Hebrews 2.17, it says, therefore, he had to be made, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is able to save us because he knows us. He understands us. And so salvation is made possible and relationship is made possible. Jesus is able to engage in relationship. And through Jesus, we can know the Father, the Almighty God, the creator of everything. Take a moment and just think about how great and majestic God is. It is beyond our ability to even comprehend the scope, the magnitude of this. And yet, through Jesus Christ, he says, I will have a relationship with you, and I will understand you. I will become human so that we can engage in relationship. It is because of the incarnation that God is accessible, that we can know him. That is why the incarnation is so important. And that is why it is a present reality for us today. So let's jump into John 4, starting at verse 7. We're going to read this story, and then we're going to go through it uh, and really examine the conversation that is happening between Jesus and this woman. And so John 4, starting at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where, where do you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and, he, and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have actually had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you say is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This conversation between the woman at the well and Jesus is one of the greatest examples of the humanity of Christ, the humanity of Jesus, as he engages and interacts with a woman in just kind of everyday life, right? Getting water. They're just interacting at this well and Jesus engages with her and it leads to a much deeper conversation and deep things being revealed. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this conversation and we're going to answer two questions as we go. First, what is keeping the woman from God? What is keeping her from knowing God? An extension we can ask, what is keeping us from knowing God? And then we're going to immediately answer, how does Jesus then connect her to God, despite of what is keeping her away? And we will also be able to see how does Jesus, as fully God and fully man, connect us to, G to God, the Father. So the very first thing that we have is that what keeps this woman from God? A disbelief that God would even interact with her. And that keeps us away from him as well. And so what does Jesus do to connect this woman and us to God? Jesus persistently pursues you anyway. This engagement at the well is very purposeful. By all 
normal societal things, by, by any right, Jesus should actually not have been at this well at all. All right? So Jesus was leaving Jerusalem, going to Galilee. And so when you do this, what you usually do as a Jewish person, you would go around Samaria. Because I'm going to pull in a Harry Potter reference here. Because the Jews thought themselves as pure bloods, and the Samaritans were basically mud bloods. Everyone understand now, right? Watch Harry Potter, it'll make sense. But basically, that uh, the Jews thought that, you know, we're right, we, we are the pure, you know, children of God. The Samaritans, though, due to, you know, a, a lot of wars and intermarrying um, with invaders and, and everything else, they were mix of some Jewish blood, but blood from other places and worshiping other gods. And because of that, our, their knowledge of God has become perverted and they just don't know, you know, what it's really like, you know, to serve God, the God of Abraham, right? And so that's the way it was thought. And so Jews would just go completely around Samaria and be like, I'm not even going to deal with it. I don't want to be tainted and be made unclean by these people, these half-bloods. And so that's kind of how they interacted. So the fact that Jesus, as a Jewish man, with his entourage, decided to go through Samaria, that should have never happened. Jesus is already breaking a societal norm by just being there. So he goes through Samaria and he talks to this woman. Once again, a Jewish man is talking to a Samaritan woman. That should not happen. And so he's breaking all all these things, these cultural things to be able to engage with this woman. And he engages through a very relatable way. I'm thirsty. It's just a guy sitting at the well saying, man, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? Once again, remember, even asking that shouldn't have happened. And so her reaction makes a lot more sense then because she's just shocked. The woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? She's just shocked because she can't believe this guy's even asking her for anything because she knows that Jews think they're dirty. we too often believe that how different we are from God or because of our sin or just because we can't understand how you know, God may even exist. Like, how does that even happen? We doubt that that God could actually care about us. And why would he even want to interact with me? Remember, think about how holy and great, majestic God is, the creator of all things. I mean, our language can't even encompass what God really is. Remember, it is that God that still, through Jesus Christ, will persistently engage with you purposefully because he wants relationship. By any right, he shouldn't. Just like Jesus, you know, a Jew doesn't go through Samaria. By any stretch of the imagination, why would such a great God want to have anything to do with us? It doesn't really make sense to the way that we think, and yet he does. He entered into human history as Jesus Christ came to our level so that we may engage in relationship 
against all societal norms and anything that makes any kind of sense. So Jesus pursues this woman anyway, engages in conversation, and Jesus pursues you anyway, despite your history, despite who you are, despite what has happened, because he loves you and he wants to have relationship with you. Number two, what, it, what is keeping this woman from God, what keeps us from God, is an inability to comprehend who God is and what he offers. We've kind of touched on that a bit. So what does Jesus do? How does he connect us? Jesus patiently delivers the truth again and again and again. He does not give up on us. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He kind of goes in this weird way, right? You're just talking to somebody and you're talking about getting a drink and, and the dude's like, oh man, I'll give you some living water. You'll be like, hmm. I don't know if I want that. <laughs> it's weird, right? It's weird. And it's, you know it was weird for this woman, right? This engagement is just weird all over because this Jew should not be talking to her and now he's talking about living water. It is odd. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. You don't even have a bucket. What, what are you talking about? You're going to give me, uh, give me this living water and you can't even draw from the well. And you're saying your water is better than the water here in this well, greater than our father Jacob who, who made that well. For thousands of years, we've been drawing water from this well and it has allowed our community to thrive and, and it has been great. You're saying you're better than Jacob's well. This water you have, which I don't even know how you have it, like this you're saying is better. She has an inability to even understand what Jesus is talking about because she doesn't know who he is and she doesn't know what he's really offering. We're not able to understand God. Once again, he is so great, right? How can we understand that? And the salvation, the living water that he's offering, it is so contrary to the way that we think. Because it's not justice, it's mercy. We don't think in terms of mercy. We think in terms of justice, eye for an eye, vengeance, right? I mean, it's no wonder that uh, the movies, where, where is it, Liam, whatever his name is, who, who yeah, that guy, he goes and he like, uh, his daughter gets kidnapped, is taken, right? Or something like that. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna punish you for taking my daughter, right? Yeah, he's gonna kill him, right? <laughs> even, even like John Wick, right? Like I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure somebody kills his dog, right? And then he's just like, it's on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you for killing my dog, right? And we're like, yes, get that justice. They deserve it right? That's how we function. That's how we think. So God, almighty God, coming in with this offer of free salvation, forgiving us for everything, we're like, yeah, I don't think so. That makes no sense at all. It is so different than the way that we work, the things that we want. We, we say we want justice, and so because of that, we will deny the salvation that is given to us. But Jesus, he understands that. Remember, he came to our level. He understands the way our minds work. 
And so he patiently delivers the truth again and again. His humanity is bridging the gap between the mystery of God and his plan of salvation and our inability to accept it. Jesus said to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He repeats himself. He says it again. And he's saying, I I know you don't understand, but I'll just keep telling you the truth. My daughter is six, and she's awesome, and I love her very much. She's back there today. And um, she has been in our home since March, so we're foster parents. And so there's been um, a lot of fear and trauma, and I won't get into, I'll be kind of vague since, since she's with us today, but there's, there's a lot of fear about being left alone because of things in the past, right? Fear that she will wake up and will be gone. Nobody will be there in the house or something like that, right? That kind of deep-seated fear, especially, you know, in someone as old as six, right? Like, this is deep. This fear is embedded. And there's not really a lot I can do other than just continuously there, not let her wake up with no one there, right? I'm faithfully present. And when these moments happen, when she is truly afraid you, you go in, you sit next to her, and you hold her and say, I know you don't understand, but I will not leave you. I know you, you can't comprehend this, that you still feel like you will be left alone, but I will not let you go. Jesus Christ sits next to us, and he holds us and says, I know you don't understand what I'm doing. I know you don't understand, but I will not let you go. That is what Jesus does for us. And it is wonderful. It is more than we deserve. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She still doesn't really understand, but she realizes this is something she wants. There's a desire for this. And there's even, there's even more attached to her response here than just, man, I, I don't want to ever be thirsty again. She says, or have to come here to draw water. Now, I'm going to point a couple things out about this woman. She is there, and it said the sixth hour, right? So in the way that they did time, that was midday. So it's noon, hot, all right? This is the Middle East. It's hot out. It's midday. No wonder Jesus is thirsty, right? He's already been walking for a long time. She is at the well at midday by herself. Culturally, women would gather together in groups and go early in the morning to draw water. So what's this tell us? This tells us that she's an outcast. She's rejected by her own community. She has a lot of shame inside of her that she is struggling with. This offer to never have to come back to this well, it's not just because she doesn't want to be thirsty or haul jugs of water back to her home. She doesn't want to have to walk through the whole town to go to the well by herself and then come back with everyone looking on, knowing why she has to be by herself. 
There's a lot more in this. She's an outcast, and her shame is so great that you can just sense the hurt in her voice. Reading this with that knowledge, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I have to come here to draw. Every day is painful for her because she is rejected by those around her. We may not understand everything about God's salvation, about that offer. We may not even actually even believe that it's true, right? But there is a void within us that must be filled. Every human will say that that is true. Everyone from the most atheist, secular person to you know, Christians will say, there's a void, something that we desire. We're pursuing something greater and we try to fill that with all kinds of things. And it can only be fulfilled through God. That is the only thing that can fill that void. And yet we have such a hard time understanding that. Even those of us who have known Jesus in relationship, we still pursue things outside of him to fill that void. And so Jesus says again and again, I am salvation. Come to me. I will not leave you. I know you do not understand, but I will still be here over and over. Our third point, how, how does this wo- what is keeping this woman away from God and what is keeping us away from him? is a desire to hide our true selves, whether it's through shame or, or guilt or whatever it may be, but we, we have a hard time revealing ourselves. We have a desire to hide our true selves. So how does Jesus reconcile this? How does he bring God and man together? He lovingly offers us holiness despite of our fear. Jesus said to her in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you say is true. Jesus reveals very intimate details about her life here. Remember how awkward this conversation already probably is for her? Well, now we're getting into some personal stuff and it's going to get worse for her. And yet at the same time, there is something really beautiful about this interaction because Jesus is not condemning this woman. He is plainly stating, this is true about your life. She knows that it's wrong. She knows the sin that she is engaged in. And Jesus lovingly points it out and his mere knowledge and presence does not allow sin to hide. In our lives, Jesus does not allow sin to stay hidden. It's impossible. We can deny it as much as we want. We can try to run away from confronting it, but Jesus will reveal sin to us. And he does not condemn you in that interaction. He lovingly points it out and still loves you in the midst of your sin and just says, you you know what's happening here. This is true. Your sin is right here. 
And the woman said to him, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So he reveals this intimate stuff about her and she, you can imagine her face, she's super shocked, right? Like, how do you know this? And then she's kind of quick. She's like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, you're definitely a prophet. Like, how did you know that? Uh, by the way, I have this theological question, you know, that obviously I've been struggling with for a very long time, and it really relates to whether or not, you know, this sin I should deal with right now. And so I need to, I need to work through this first. Uh, we respond the same way. We often will be just like, oh, before I can truly repent of this sin, I need to really understand why I'm doing this. My personality, you know, says that I kind of lean that way anyway. So, you know, I, I need to kind of wrestle through some of this first. You know, I, I've got that, um, all these personality points that, that say that, you know, that I, I'm just an introvert. So I, I, you know, I shouldn't engage in community because it's so uncomfortable for me and I'm not very good at it anyway. I'd probably do more harm than good. We do this for everything, right? We deflect. Jesus lovingly lays our sin out before us and says, this is keeping you from relationship with me. I'm not gonna condemn you for this, but it is here. And because of it, we cannot engage in relationship in the right way. And we say, yes, but. We don't want to engage our sin. We try to deflect. And so I guess my question for you is, how are you deflecting right now? What areas of your life are you just saying, I'll put that on the back burner because I, I gotta deal with some of this personal stuff first. I gotta figure this out first and then I can deal with that sin. But you know, it, it's just, it's too much. How are you deflecting and ignoring your sin and because of it, keeping yourself from deep relationship with the Father. We are the absolute best at delaying confrontation, especially with ourselves, and admitting our mistakes and our faults. Jesus said to her after this, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, the Jews, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus' response is very interesting. Jesus knows exactly what she's doing, right? I mean, she deflected quite obviously. She didn't even try to be sneaky about it. But Jesus actually answers her question. He doesn't get frustrated. He responds and says, uh, yes, that is a good question. Here's the answer, that salvation is from the Jews. So, I mean, the Samaritans are wrong. He, he lays it out very bluntly. But then he guides her right back to his original point. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In all this way, Jesus is saying that you, like woman, you are living in sin. You are being separated from true relationship from God, and you want to make it about which, which mountain we're worshiping on. That has nothing to do with our relationship, because I tell you right now, you can know me. 
You can be in relationship with God and you're just distracting yourself from it. You're trying to put all these barriers between relationship just because it makes you uncomfortable. If you would just come to the Father in obedience and repentance, then you can worship the Father anywhere. And he's saying the Father very intentionally here too because Jesus gives us salvation, but by that salvation offered through Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, that relationship means we can know all of God. That great, majestic creator, we can have relationship. Yes, there's a mystery, right? There's still that mystery of like we just can't comprehend really. But Jesus is saying you can still know me. Now this is, this is imperfect, but it's the first thing I thought of was, was my relationship with Nicole, my wife. Man, we've been married for, uh, for a while now, for seven years, almost, almost coming on eight. And we know each other quite well. I mean, you would hope so, right? We know each other very intimately. Um, we are best friends. Like, I know her better than anyone else. I still don't know every thought that goes through her head. I still don't know her innermost workings, right? Like there's still mystery involved in our relationship and yet I still know Nicole. Just because I don't know her every thought, I can't read her mind, that does not keep me from engaging in deep, meaningful relationship with her. Just because we cannot truly understand absolutely everything about God, that should not keep you from engaging in true, meaningful relationship with him. And if you use these things as excuses, you're just lying to yourself. We allow our fear to get in the way. We, we allow our inability to be comfortable with the unknown get in the way. But if we would just engage, if you would just have that relationship with God and, and submit yourself to him, then there is such a beautiful result where you can know God, truly know who he is. And this will lead us to just worship him. It will lead us to awe. It will lead us to joy. If you struggle in your life with having true joy and peace and contentment, the things that, are, that come from God and from his Holy Spirit, if you're struggling with these things to be active in your life, it's because you are denying relationship with him. You are not allowing yourself to be intimate with God. And it's not his fault. He says, I want you. Don't allow these things to separate you from the Father. Jesus will persistently pursue you anyway, and you can just say yes. So what's the last thing that we see, and really, I believe, is the biggest thing for all of us? The biggest thing that keeps us from God 
is a fear to commit to change. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he boldly offers himself to you over and over. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. And when he comes, then he will explain all these things. She's saying, I'll deal with it tomorrow. When these circumstances are right, then I'll deal with it. Then I'll commit. We do this too. We, we say, oh man, when I get my life together, then I'll follow God. When I am able to finally just stop sinning this specific sin, then, you know, God will want me and I'll be worthy to be in the church. Or if you're a Christian for a long time and it's just, oh, I know that my anger is a problem, but as soon as I can deal with my, you know, innermost peace or whatever, then I'll deal with my angry outburst thinking there's some kind of correlation that we must just deal with our sin ourselves when God very clearly says that it is only through him that we can be saved. We just want to put it off, and the reason is because we don't like change. Relationship with God requires radical transformation. If we did a poll in here, I'm pretty sure a lot of people, most people, would probably be like, I don't really like big changes in my life. I'm comfortable. I know how things work. I got my rhythm. I got my schedule. And it's good. The status quo is comfortable for us. Being in relationship with God is very uncomfortable because change happens all the time. So this process called sanctification where we become more and more like Jesus Christ. That means killing our old self and becoming new over and over and over. It's not a fun experience, to be honest, and yet it is so wonderful. Change is something that we are so afraid of. But if we do accept that change, if we do pursue it, if we are transformed, then we're freed from the shackles of sin. We begin a process of holiness that will last the rest of our lives. We can feel safe and secure and content and we can have joy and we can be completely safe in our identity as a son or daughter of the living God if we would just change. And all of that sounds fantastic. And we say, yes, I want that. And yet we still say, ah, that process though, I don't know if I want to start that process. Change is tough. And this keeps us from relationship with God. And so what does Jesus do? He patiently, lovingly, and boldly declares, I am salvation. I know you're struggling, but I am salvation. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I bring salvation to you. He was actually traveling at this moment because back in Jerusalem, 
there were miracles being, our baptisms being performed by his disciples and people were starting to ask too many questions. And at this time, he knew it was not time yet to reveal himself as the Messiah. And yet, on the very trip away from this situation, with some random woman in Samaria, he reveals that very truth. The very reason why he's leaving Jerusalem, he lays it all out there because he says, you're worth it. We shouldn't be talking at all, but yet you are worth it. He says that to you today. You are worth it. I am salvation, and I will bring to you transformation. You may be pushing God away. I don't know what all of you are going through. I don't know the things in your life, and you may be pushing God away. It may be because you're hiding in in shame because of your sin, or because you just don't know how to move forward from it. Maybe there is some trauma in your life that is crippling you from being able to move forward in relationship, or maybe it's just because you can't wrap your mind around all the things of God, and so you say, I just, I don't understand, and so I can't. We are fearful to commit to change, but Jesus will come to your level. He already has. He comes to your level in his humanity and his divinity completely coming together and he is saying, I am salvation and I want you and I need you and I I desire you. And he says, I know you don't understand, but I am not going anywhere. Now is the time for this to happen. Jesus Christ is the connection between God and God and humanity because he is both divine and human. And during this Advent season, we celebrate this and we remember this connection. And so now, today is the day. Cast aside your doubts and your fears and and your inability to get past your own things and say, God, I know you have made yourself accessible and I want to know you. Because he wants to know you intimately. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another moment. Let today be the day to fully celebrate relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so grateful for you. I am so grateful for the relationship that I have with you. God, My relationship with you is the greatest thing in my life and without it, I would be lost. I desire that every single person in this place and without would know you. You've already done the work. You've already said it is finished. Relationship is possible. I am accessible. You have made it possible for us to know you. All it takes is for us to accept, to take that step towards you and say, Jesus, I want to know you. You may not know what that actually looks like. You may not know how to even begin to have that conversation or what it really, you know, is going to all take, but 
I'm telling you, now can be the time when all you have to do is say, Jesus, I want you. You can do that now, here today. You may even have lived your life in church and been in the chairs and the pews for your whole life and realize I don't have a relationship. I don't know God at all. Today is the day that you can change that and say, God, I know you're pursuing me. All those years you have been there beside me saying, I will not leave you. Today is the day you can say, I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you, God. Let us enter into this relationship and the Holy Spirit will come within you and transformation will happen. Our relationship with God is the best thing in the world. It is a cause for celebration. Let us celebrate together today. Let us go into this time of worship knowing that we have access to God, the Almighty, and it is wonderful, and it is worth everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen.